0: everyone said amen. amen. Last week, um, last week we spoke about transformational prayer. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it on the podcast, I messed up. I had technical difficulties. There was tears. There was crying, and I didn't get a chance to post it, but it's okay. This week, we're, we're going to make up for it. I'm going to preach last week's and this week's sermon right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of y'all are like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, Uh, Last week we spoke about transformational prayer and prayer We learned that prayer isn't only about our petitions. It's about being one with God It's about getting into that oneness with God and saying God I just want you here before I bring to you all of my problems before I bring to you Everything that I'm going to I just want your spirit just to be here And I want it to dwell here and I just need you because when your spirit is here that changes me that changes things and so getting into that oneness with God and I believe that um, as we're going through, the theme for our church this year is called transformation, uh, because I really do believe that whatever, whatever God has for pioneer, we're going to go through a transformation this year, because God has brought us so far, and anything that grows has growing pains, right? We know this. Um, for, some, for some of you gymnasts, y'all, like my wife used to tell me all the time, like, they went through growing pain. They're just like, oh, my knees hurt, and my hips hurt, I don't know why they hurt, and you know, for guys, it's a little different. It's like, my stomach hurts, you know? <laughs> like, you know, for me, it was my stomach hurts. Oh, I'm hungry again. Um, and so it's just different. So anything that grows goes through pain. And so uh, we talked about transformational prayer. And if you weren't here last week, just know that, that prayer is, is it's one of our mission statements. It's, it's the source of this church. This church was born and birthed and grew on prayer because we were praying for this, this many people in this room before you were even in here. There was prayer going up, God we, God help us. And, and some of you guys know like this room used to be empty. And so like, it would be like, oh, I'm preaching to my wife and four people right here, amen, hallelujah. Um, and every week and every day there was just prayers going up of God, we believe that you can even when we can't, you have to understand Like, you may be in a lack of resources this week, but you're never out of a lack of prayer. You may be out of a lack of whatever you need, but you're you're never out of prayer. And I have put this on Facebook. Like, prayers don't have expiration dates. They just don't. You can send up as many prayers as you want, whenever you want, as frequent as you want, and there's no time where Jesus is like, all right, this prayer has a two-week time. (laughs) So in two weeks... You have to resubmit, you know, like it's the DMV, that's not God. You gotta resubmit or reapply, that's not God. You keep on praying, you keep on fasting, you keep on reading your word, you keep on being faithful, and God, he honors the prayers of those who persevere. He honors those prayers, because he's like, oh, they're coming back to me again. Man, they love being in my presence. He will answer those prayers, amen? Listen, some of you guys are sitting in this room because there were prayers going up for you from your mother or grandmother that you have no idea. That's the only reason why some of y'all are sitting in this room is because they kept on praying for you. They kept on petitioning and going after heaven. They kept on asking God. They kept on saying, God, please keep them. God, please preserve them. God, send them to a church. Help them find a family a church. God, God, do something. And some of them may be here and some of them may not be here, but you have to know that those prayers are ringing all throughout heaven right now. And they're like, oh wow, that prayer was answered. God, thank you, God. Hmm. So even if you have kids, don't have kids, if you're in a relationship, not a relationship, you need to start praying for your husband, your wife, and your children from now. Because those prayers don't expire. Amen? Amen. Amen. This week we're talking about transformational discipleship. Discipleship, that's the second thing. Our, our mission statement is very phonetically friendly, right? Pray passionately, disciple diligently, and cultivate community. It's like, wow, that just rolls right off the tongue. It's like someone thought about that. So. <laughs> on discipling diligently. We want to disciple people in this church. That's the whole point of homesteads. That's the whole point of small groups. See, people have this weird idea that discipleship has to happen at a specific time, at a specific place, and it could only happen with the pastor and someone else. False. False. Discipleship can happen at any time, at any place, and with your brother and sister in Christ. That's discipleship right? If, if I, so me and Joseph, we went to go pick up a couch in Nashville one time. Like, that was discipleship, and what we, were, we were just hanging out. We discipled all the way there, and on the way back, I fell asleep. So, <laughs> I was tired. That was the day that Ava woke up at 4 a.m. That's how I know the Lord isn't in her right now, because 4 a.m. wake up was not good. No, I'm just kidding, but like, we, and we just hung out, we just talked about life and church, and we just, shared with each other's lives and where we're going and where we feel like God was putting, and that wasn't like, it wasn't time of like, Joseph, I am discipling you now. How weird would that have been? He might have jumped out the passenger car window like, I'm out, because it's just awkward. And so we can't make it, we, I think as a church, sometimes we build it up to something bigger than it is, and God is just like, hey, it's, it's really just doing life with each other. That's why we have these small groups because we want you to do life with someone. Because my, during the message isn't the time to talk to someone and say, hey, I just want to let you know how my week is going because it's distracting for me because I want to know. And then you might be hurting the other person and what they may receive. But like, that's where these small groups come in. It's, it's such a focused time where the, you get to share your life and share your week and say, hey, this is what I'm going through oh, you know what, I'm not the only one who struggles with this because that's the work of the enemy. Sometimes he likes to tell us that we're the only ones who struggle with that certain thing and that if we share it, people are gonna be shocked. But you realize that vulnerability is the birthplace for change because once you share it, now you have a brother and you're like, oh wow, we can, you you struggle with that too? Oh my gosh, I've been lied to this whole time. I thought I was the only one. No, we all struggle with going through the McDonald's drive-thru at 11 p.m. at night wanting to get a McDouble, we all struggle with that, right? We all struggle with just like, Lord, you know, I just want to pull over. Oh, there's only two cars in line right now. And they got the double drive-through. Well, like, we all struggle with that. Struggles don't, aren't struggles anymore when there's many pre- people lifting the burden. It's not a struggle anymore. Have you ever noticed when you're carrying something extremely heavy by yourself, it's a struggle? But then when someone comes along and they go, hey, can I help you? Yes, please. It's no longer that much of a struggle. And now if we get another person to come along and say, hey, can you mind if I jump in and help you guys? It's no longer a struggle. Because there's many people lifting a burden. You're not called to live life by yourself. You're not called to do life alone. Disciple, if if you're gonna grow in your own life, if you're gonna grow in Christ, there has to be discipleship. Yeah, and I'm not saying you have to go out and say, hey, will you disciple me? Hey, will you disciple me? Hey, no, it's easy as like, you know what? I didn't plan on going to this small group. I didn't plan on going to this homestead, and I'm tired, and I don't wanna go, but guess what? I've been struggling this week, and I need to share my struggle with someone else. I'm going to go. Have you ever noticed in your own personal life that the times when you don't want to go to something, me and Tasha know this really well, we'll say yes to something, and it's just like, once you get home, and you get in them sweatpants, ooh, ooh, that's the devil working in you. Because once you put them things on, and you're like, I I don't feel like going nowhere. I don't want to go. The only way to get me out of my house is if like someone said there was like 10,000 spiders in here, but I don't feel like going nowhere. But I already said yes. And then you have this internal battle as you're laying in your bed on your phone. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But I said yes. I told them I would be there, but they don't need me there. My sweatpants, they love me. They don't, no one loves me like my sweatpants because whether I gain weight or lose weight, my sweatpants are always there for me. <laughs> Some of y'all like testify. <laughs> but I realize when I when I commit and I said, you know what, I said I'm gonna go, we're gonna go, I always, always, always get blessed. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm faithful to my commitments and I'm faithful to my yes, Anytime I go, and I'm like, you know what, I already said yes, I always get blessed. And I feel like it's so unfair sometimes. Like, y'all really thought I showed up here for y'all, but no, I showed up because I wanted to get my blessing. <laughs> I always, and whether it be, it was just a great conversation, whether it be a new perspective found, whether it be Jesus, Jesus, sh- Jesus, <laughs> Jeez, what a rough week, whether it be Jesus showed up like. He's always blessing that because I said yes. People think, and I tell people this all the time, this church happened because we said yes. This church is growing is because you said yes to show up. Like, there's power in saying yes. There's nothing special about Tasha and I and what's going on. The only thing I tell people is like, there's nothing special about us. Like, if you look at the Bible, there's nothing special about those guys except they said yes to Jesus. God, whatever your will is, I'm going to say yes. I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to say yes. If we live this life, it's like, God, whatever you have planned for us, I'm just going to say yes. Imagine the blessed life you would live. But God, I don't want to, I don't, because God knows for me, like, I don't like sharing food. Can I get a witness? Once it's on my plate, it's on my plate. You go get your plate. Especially when you're married, because someone always wants to taste. But I know when I share it with her, she's eating some of the calories, so I'm blessed. (laughs) I'm blessed. I lose a little bit of weight because she's sharing the calories with me. We're blessed. The word disciple means a follower or student of a teacher, leader. A follower. See, everyone, whether you say, oh, I'm being, everyone's discipled by something everyone. And you're like, no, I don't have anyone discipling. Yes, you're either discipled by someone or discipled by something, but in your life, something is always discipling you. You're always learning something. If that weren't true, it wouldn't say follow on Instagram. That's why they have followers and following because you're always being discipled by something, whether it be the latest trends in fashion, whether it be the latest trends in health, whatever you're doing in life, something is discipling you because something's adding to your worldview and the way you think and how you do things. So the question now becomes, who's discipling me the most? Am I allowing TV to disciple me? Am I allowing social media to disciple me? Am I allowing Christ, the body, to disciple me? Because I've realized when I allow the first two to disciple me, I never feel fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. It's a rough week with words, y'all. I started going to the gym again, and how come y'all didn't tell me that was a mistake? But. You know, you're always looking and you're, and you're always like, man, what's shaping my worldview? view? What's, what's doing that? And so you're always a student of something. You're always being discipled by something. And as Christians, I, I really believe that if we became discipled by the word and discipled by prayer and discipled by spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ, our entire worldview would look totally different we would no longer need to be satiated by social media. We would no longer have to eat social media. We'd no have to look for this latest trend in whatever, but when we look to Christ, we can see that, oh wow, that is so emptying. Of course, they're going to show their best life on social media because that's what it's there for. But when I look to Christ and say, God, I need, I need to be discipled. I need to get around a group of brothers or someone who's going to take time and pour into me and develop me because I believe that the next season in my life, if I don't have someone discipling me or mentoring me or pouring into me, I might might miss what you have for me. Discipleship is so important that Jesus chose 12 guys. 12 guys. You can't tell me this small group isn't important. Jesus rolled with a small group. All his dudes were small group. And guess what? They weren't like the elite of the society. They were the bottom rung. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and even one of them betrayed him. So to say like, oh, I need to get around. I hate that saying. I hate it when people are like, oh, if you want to get where you need to go, you need to hang around people who are already doing it. No, Jesus didn't hang out with none of these guys and they were already doing it. He says, you know what, I'm going to choose you because guess what? You seem like I'm, I'm going to make you a fisher. I'm going to turn you into something that you couldn't even turn yourself into. And that's the beauty of a small group. That's the beauty of a homestead is that there are people with different backgrounds and different struggles and different perspectives, but you guys are coming under one umbrella and that's the umbrella of the, of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And you can say, hey, we are in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus and we're going to share our burdens with one another and lift each other up. And that's discipleship. And I want to I I make this abundantly clear. I want to make this abundantly clear that Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, bringing us into union with himself. He bore the cross. He experienced death. and ex- gave us grace and mercy in that full resurrection with him. There is no discipline in your life that will ever replace that. You could, you could have great disciplines. It was like, I don't, eat, I don't eat sugar. I don't eat carbs. I don't eat this and whatever, all these disciplines. But Jesus did all of the heavy lifting. When he took that cross, when he went to the grave, and when he rose again on the third day, he lifted all of that. Like there is nothing that we can do to ever bring us proverbially closer to Christ. He did all of that already. Discipleship just says, God, I just want to grow. I just want to be with you and I want to be with other people who are with you. There are four key outcomes, I believe, in discipleship, and we're going to go through those today. I think discipleship produces four, four key things, and you could write these down. The first one is, the first outcome is a mission. Discipleship produces a mission. In Matthew 28:16, some of you guys know this. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they all worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and now this is after Jesus died and resurrected, and he was walking around on earth. And Jesus said to them, and And I love this verse because I feel so much power in this verse. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that verse because when it says all authority has been given to me, on earth as in heaven, like, I look at that, and I'm like, Jesus was just saying gangster things right there, like, no one else could say that, no one else can still say that, he's the only one who could stand alone and say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Who can say that? Nobody. There's no government official, there's no other pastor, there's no other religious leader who can say, all authority has been given to me. And so go. See, discipleship creates mission. When there's discipleship, it's no longer an exclusive group of people, it's an inclusive group of people, amen? Because any group that's just like, oh no, we only like this type of people, you're exclusive and snobby, and that doesn't belong in this church. Look at the people around you. We're all not one color. We're all different colors, different ages, different experiences. And that's why I said this is a small pocket of what heaven looks like. He says, go out into all the world and all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the only place where he goes, and surely I will be with you even to the very end of the age. What? You're going to be with me? Yes. To the end of your time on earth? to the end of whatever season, I'm going to be with you. It creates a mission. See, when the ladies meet and when you guys meet, you're not only just meeting because of like, oh, I had nothing else to do, some of you might, but you're meeting because you're like, there's a mission. Our mission is not only to connect as brothers and sisters in Christ, the mission is to also, whomever is around and seeing us, is to include them into our group and say, hey, what, like, I heard, I heard this um, from one of the small groups, like, this is John in the back, John, raise your hand. John was talking to a guy at the uh, Memphis Rocks, and he was like, oh, what are you guys doing? He's like, well, we're climbing. And John, like a straight up thug, goes, yeah, this is my squad. And I was like, oh, okay, you got a squad now. You know what I mean? And that's the beauty of it, is it creates a mission. Basically, he's telling that guy like, hey, this is my group of friends, and, and you're always invited. You can come join us. We live in an age and in a world where we have these pseudo groups online, right? Because is anyone part of a Facebook group online? Right? And they, do, they talk about specific things and, they, and you're like, oh, we're, we're, we're in this group because we all like talking about this. But sometimes it's not real because you never have met any of these people. But yet you're like, oh yeah, this is a group. And, and, and what we're saying here, and what God is saying is it's like, how are we as a church not doing in real life what people are doing online? See, we're called to do life together. When people, I find it so tough when people say, oh, I don't need to go to church. I can have church in my house by myself. you can, but you're denying the group of people to help to serve you and be with you because not everyone wants to go to your house. Sure, you can have church by yourself, absolutely, but why do church, if Jesus didn't have church by himself, and he could have, why do we feel the need to always tell people that? I don't need to go to church. And some people are like, well, I always feel judged. Not here, not this church. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how much you make. I don't care what you are wearing. Hey, you're family here. And if no one came up to you and hug you, I'm probably going to hug you on your way out. And if you try and stop me, I'm still going to hug you. So there's that. So discipleship produces a mission. The second thing that discipleship produces is maturation, growth, right? Maturation. I'm, I'm 50-50 with words today. Ephesians 4.11-16 says, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then there will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by the supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The second key of discipleship is to mature and grow. Because when you're a baby, so I have a baby, she's, what, five weeks, months? Five months, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Like I said, she's five months, and she's drinking milk right now. Tomorrow, I'm not going to say It's time for you to eat steak. Everyone else is having steak. You need to have steak. No, because right now her body can't handle it. It couldn't break it down. It couldn't do that. The problem that we have in churches is that there's a lot of Christians who are new to the faith, and we want to give them steak when God is like, they just need milk. They don't even have teeth to chew the steak. They just need milk. And if you're new in Christ Jesus, I'm not calling you and saying, oh, well, well, pastor called me a baby today. No, that's not what I'm saying is that there's a what I'm saying is that there's a time and a growth place as you grow in Christ. When there are deeper truths that Christ will reveal to you, either through the word or through another person that he will reveal to you over time. But right now, if you're new on this journey with Christ, you don't need to know about the third heavens. You don't need to, like, you need to know the, the basic things because everyone, when we came to Jesus at some point, all that mattered was Jesus loves me, he forgave me my my sins, and I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with him. Right, does anyone remember when they first got saved? Like, you were walking out acting brand new with everybody. Girl, I went to church this week. They're like, did you meet someone? I met Jesus, cut it out, you know? <laughs> I feel brand new. All my sins are forgiven. And that's, the, and that's what Christ wants you to have. Like, that's the part, that's the beautiful part of Christianity is that you were growing. You were, you were drinking simple truths and it was maturing you. Like y'all, my little daughter Izzy, she's a fat fat. She's a chub chub. She <laughs> loves to eat milk and she's adorable. And imagine if she would have came up like, let's give her steak. No, that doesn't work out that way. Like, she's been growing off of a milk. See, now, my older daughter, Izzy, I mean, Ava, <laughs> I have two daughters named Izzy. <laughs> Didn't want to confuse myself later in life. Um, my older daughter, Ava, she hit a point where she could start eating food because she started growing teeth. So she can break down the food. What happens is, with older Christians, you start to grow teeth in your walk with Christ. And so you no longer desire the milk because you're like, I get that. I got that foundational truth in me, which is very important because, right, we know for those who are parents and for those who are not parents, i give you a little bit of education. Like milk at the beginning of, a ba- of of your life as a baby, like it's foundational for your eating. Like you find out some, some babies are allergic to milk and some babies just, take different formulas or you know if you're nursing you know it's breast milk and so some babies react different and you have allergies so you learn a lot about the child at that age and the same thing in your Christian walk like you learn the truths, these foundational truths I know Jesus loves me I know my sins are forgiven I know my name is now written in the Lamb's book of life I know that I shouldn't like leave the church or dis or just say, I'm gonna have church by myself. I realize it's always the older Christians who are like, I could have church right by myself. It's just like, you need to go back to your milk because obviously you're not learning from the meat. Um, but what I wanna tell you is, is like, you need that stuff to grow. There's nutrients in that. But you can't stay there because my daughter who is two Imagine if we just kept on giving her milk without giving her solid food. She'd end up being malnourished. See, as a Christian, especially in discipleship, there's a lot of Christians out there who are malnourished because they never took the next step to say, okay, what are some heavier truths? How can I grow? How can I mature? And that's that's what what, that's what he's saying here is that like in order for you to grow like it's good that you he's like no longer will they be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people with deceitful scheming because when you're young like you just believe whatever someone tells you right. Like, you, you, like, I remember when I, when I first came to Christ, it was just like, oh, everyone like, who spoke, who said Jesus, I was like, oh, they, you know, oh, they're a Christian. Oh, they're a Christian. Oh, they thank Jesus on stage. They're a Christian. Oh, they thank Jesus for their Grammy. They're a Christian, but their music video is really weird. But, you know, they said that. And then you get older, and you get that discernment, and you realize, like, okay, just because they spoke his name doesn't mean that they're close to him. Oh, okay, you know what? That teaching how was it really biblical like it was a I mean if you guys have been to that church it was like that was a lot of good advice but that's not biblical see and so you must mature if we never gave Ava any solid food how would she know how to break it down how she would never learn how to chew she would just choke all the time that's why there's some meteor truths in this word, and as you grow in Christ, you'll learn how to chew, and you'll learn how to break down this word and say, wow, that was really good teaching. That was a really good word. This is how it changed my worldview. Point three, and then we're going to do one more. Uh, another key truth about discipleship is that it brings multiplication discipleship brings multiplication. In Acts 2, 42-47, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, Josh, if you don't mind going up and playing. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted, now this is the first church in Acts, it says, was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked with one another, sharing communion, and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their numbers daily those who were coming to life. They were devoted to teaching. They were linked to one another. See, what I love about this church is that whenever I find often, and this is nothing that Tasha and I did, this is just what you guys do, is that whenever there's a need, someone in this church steps up. Someone. I could say to the, to the family, like, hey, so-and-so needs prayer for this, and people step up. Hey, so-and-so, and people step up. Now, there are some things God has to work out in his own, but I could say, hey, this family needs food. And last year, when, you know, again, as a small church, people stepped up. There was a member, a guy who was coming here who no longer comes here, and um, unfortunately he had things stolen from him. You should have seen the church step up. Someone's like, oh, I got food, I can run home and bring it right back. Oh, I, you know what, I have this money, here, here you go, take this, like, let's get it together. Oh, hey, do you need help getting your driver's license? I'm gonna take you. Look at the church being the church. That's the church being the church. And of course, multiplication comes from that because everyone wants a church where they can get helped from it. We share this often, and we even share this in our Journey 101. See, the church isn't a soup kitchen. The church is a potluck. See, soup kitchen, you bring your bowl, and you're like, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna leave. But this church is a potluck church. Because everyone's like, hey, I'm gonna bring something and then you bring something and then you bring something and then we're gonna share. We're gonna share, what, yeah, I mean, you may have a lot more than I do, but I'm gonna bring this little bowl of something. All I had was like cheese nips, and so that's what I'm gonna bring. But I'm bringing something. See, potluck says that we're gonna exchange what we have. It may not be a lot, but hey, I brought something. Even if you're that person that's like, I'm going to bring drinks. I have a couple of friends that anytime I had a party, I knew who's going to bring the drinks, and I knew who's going to bring the chips. <laughs> but that's okay. Because you are faithful in that. And you have to understand that that's where the multiplication comes. Because it says, wow, I'm accepted even though I'm bringing just this. Like, you know what? Why don't I, why don't I tell someone about the church I'm going to? Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Like... They don't care what you look like. They don't care, like they are not gonna judge you here. They don't care what you dress like. They just care about your heart of worship like you're a worship. Hey, you know what? You can come, you know, I, I don't have a lot. It'll, we don't care if you have a lot or a little, just come. Oh, you know, well, no one's gonna care that I'm not there. Yes, we do. Because if you know me and I have your number and I didn't see you one week, I'm gonna text you. Where you at? We missed you. Because that's family, right? If you miss family dinner, someone's gonna be like, where's so-and-so? Why are they not here? Now, it's getting to a point where I can't text everybody. You know? But that's why you have each other, right? To hold. One another in love and just be like hey we missed you this week man we missed you where were you i said they added to each other because they are of one spirit i love verse 43 real quick and then i'm going to end it it says a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders all the believers were in fellowship as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. It says a deep sense of wonder and there were signs and wonders. Like miracles were happening. Like, don't miss that. Miracles were happening because they were all of one accord, of one mind and one spirit. So whenever people are of one mind and one spirit, so are you telling me whenever we come together and we're of one mind and one spirit, you're saying miracles can happen? Wait. Are you telling me that there's going to be breakthrough happening yeah because we're following one god and all, all that all that those verses are saying is that they put aside their selves they put aside their personal whatever and they were like hey we're here to serve each other and miracles started happening so as pioneer church as we get together as a family as we come here on saturdays as we serve our community you have to understand that miracles are going to start happening There's gonna be things happening in your life, in the life of the person that you're serving, that you're like, wow, I've never seen something like this in my life ever, but it's because we are of one mind and one spirit. That see, you gotta understand, you gotta, oh man. Multiplication starts happening when you put yourself away and you're like, I'm just gonna serve you. Because guess what, at Pioneer Church, if you ain't doing nothing, you ain't doing nothing. And so we want you to be like, hey, this is your house. If you're a member in this place and you haven't done anything in a couple months and you're starting to feel real guilty, good, that's the Holy Spirit. He's convicting you a little, like, hey, you need to do something. Because this is a home. Growing up in your house, you may or may not have had chores or you may or may not, like, adding to the house. Not my mom. My mom was like... Saturday morning early. Hey, you got to clean all this. Because everyone's got something to do. And this is the kind of family that we are. Everyone's got something to do. Everyone's got something to give. You don't have to be a 10 everywhere. You just need to be a 10 where God has called you to be a 10 at. So if you're a 10 at greeting, be the best greeter we can ever have. If you're like, hey, I don't really like to smile at people, but I know how to fold stuff and put stuff away really neatly. Be a 10 there. If you know how to capture moments, be a 10 there. We don't need you to be a 10 everywhere, but in just what God has skilled you to do. Be a 10. As I close, the the fourth outcome is that discipleship creates movement. It creates movement. Disciple, see, I'll read it to you guys. This is Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy. I'm going to read it a little quick um, because of time. It says, you, however, Paul talking to Timothy, you know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, all what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. See, it's creating movement because he's sharing his testimony. Have you ever noticed that how your testimony can change someone's life and give them movement? And it's like, wow, if they can go through it. I can go through what I'm going through. So it creates movement. And Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Ooh, that's a big one. While evildoers and imposters will go around bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he says to Timothy here, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of because you know those from who you learned it from and how, the, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus all scripture and you guys know this is God breathed and useful for teaching rebuking correcting training and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work in chapter 4 he says in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom I give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke encourage see some christians are too stuck on the rebuking and we forget to encourage correct rebuke and encourage i always find that the most religious christians are the first ones to rebuke and correct but yet they don't ever encourage so i want to challenge you as a christian always be the first one to encourage and then show compassion through the rebuke with great patience and careful instruction look at that with great patience and careful instruction. We always do it backwards. We always do it in haste and without instruction. For the time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them with great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's how you know the mark of a baby Christian, because they just only want what they want to hear. And if you ever try to you know, correct them or preach the truth to them, they're like, oh, uh, he was, he's, he's being mean. No, it's not that they're being mean. The truth, sometimes it doesn't sound as pretty as you want it to because it's the truth. He says, they will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head up in all situations, endure hardships, Do the work of evangelists evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, you have to understand discipleship creates movement because Paul was charging Timothy. He says, this is everything that I've gone through. This is what you're going to go through. And this is what to come. Now go and do it. See, Paul didn't allow what everything he went through to sit with him. Some of us, we end up like these spiritual reservoirs and we become spiritual swamps because we go to church, we read the Bible, we read these books, we, you know, we ask for the Spirit to come, but we never pour out into anyone else. And so we become these spiritual swamps, and that's how pride puffs up, by the way, is because it just sits there and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that about the Bible. Yeah, I know that about the Bible. But it's just like, yes, but are you just a gong because you didn't love anyone or you didn't share with anyone what God put on your heart to share with them? creates movement discipleship creates movement because you're able to share with your brother or sister in christ and say this is what i'm going through this is what the lord spoke to me and sometimes it's even taking a, 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 even taking a risk and saying you know what I, I hope this is the holy spirit but i feel like i needed to share this word with you today brother that you are all that you need to be in christ jesus that you're ch- that you're who you are isn't found in the paycheck you make that who you are is found in christ jesus i just wanted to share I wanna share that with a couple of guys today. I don't care what you do, I don't care how much you make, I don't care what your bank statement says, who you are and who God has called you to be isn't wrapped up in a paycheck because if man can give it, man can always take it away. And in Christ Jesus as a man you have to know that you are called to be the head of your household. And what better way to lead your children is leading them in Christ instead of leading them by how much you make. There's a lot of broken families out there because they're so caught up in what they make. My, my prayer, my goal is that my two daughters, as, as they grow up and as they get older and any, any other kids that God puts in our life, is that, like, they don't, they don't define me by, by what I do or how much I make, but they're de- my definition comes from, like, wow, Dad really just followed Christ. Like, that's all we know. Like, that's all we know. And, and as a woman, I, I want to. Te- I don't know your struggles intimately because I'm a man, and so I only know A few things about women, but I want to let you know, I know society wants to deem you as a second-class citizen, but Christ didn't call you to be a second-class citizen. He called you to be a first-class worshiper. He called you to be a first-class prayer warrior. He called you to lead your household. Yes, your husband will lead the household, and you are to be there with him and do it together. I don't care. Like I said, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight if you need to stand up and be a leader in your community stand up and be a leader if you need to draw the line in your household and say no we're not doing that draw the line Tasha and I we've been on this little lifestyle change of, of losing weight Tasha's lost a lot of weight I've lost a lot of weight but I could tell you like I could have gone to the gym all I wanted to but if Tasha didn't cook right at home it wouldn't have mattered we both have to make decisions together and say, hey, we're doing this for our health, we're doing this for our family. See, it takes a family to do it. Amen. I want to end on this little, I don't know if you want to call it, this, this illustration. See, the problem is that some of us think discipleship is a rowboat, and some of us think discipleship is a jet ski. And the problem is with both of those views. See, the rowboats is, oh, you know what? Discipleship's a rowboat. So I got to do it in my own strength. I got to get these disciplines right. I have to do this right. I have to do that. And so you start rowing in your own strength. And then what happens? You just get tired. And you're like, dang, I can't even keep up with these disciplines. That's why people quit diets so quickly is because they just jump in and they're trying to do it in their own strength and do it in their own strength. And oh my gosh, I got, if I don't do this and I eat that, oh my gosh, I'm just going to balloon up. And so you think discipleship is a rowboat in the same way. And it's not. Discipleship is not a rowboat because no Christian wakes up a mature Christian. Trust me, there's a lot of churches full of immature Christians. And discipleship is not a jet ski. You don't hop on, turn the key, and just take off. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't. If discipleship was a jet ski, everybody would be riding, but it's not. But I realized discipleship, it's a sailboat. The discipleship isn't a jet ski because a jet ski's easy. You just turn the key and hit the gas. And it's not that at all, but discipleship is a sailboat. See, the only motion, forward motion, you get in a sailboat is when the wind blows into the sail, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Some of you, like, listen, I'm from New York. I don't know that much about boats, OK? <laughs> but I realize discipleship is a sailboat. The only motion you get in the sailboat is when the wind pushes into the sail and then it'll move you. See, one of them, being a rowboat is like, it's all dependent on my strength. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. But the sailboat says, I'm gonna put up this sail and wherever the wind fills it, that's where I'm gonna go. Amen. And that's why the Holy Spirit is called the pneuma the wind, the breath of life, because when Jesus, when God formed man and woman, he breathed his life into them. So if you want to move forward in life, put up your sail and allow God to blow his wind. Amen. If you want to move in any direction in life, if you want to get somewhere, put up your sail. See, it's interdependence, because if I never put up my sail, I ain't moving nowhere. So God is like, put up your sail, And you're like, what's my sail? The sail is your faith. Put up your sail and allow God to blow into, I mean, you end up in locations you could never get to on a rowboat or a jet ski because a rowboat requires your strength, a jet ski requires gas, and guess what? You'll run out of both of them, but you can't run out of air. You can't run out of the breath of life because it ain't in you. You can't run out of what's not in you. It's all dependent on Jesus. And so he will keep on blowing into your cell. God, I don't know where I'm going. I feel like I've just been sitting here. Good, just sit and wait on me. God, what do I do? Just sit and wait on me. And then in a moment's notice, God, I'm moving. Yeah, that's right, because I decided to breathe on your life. I decided to breathe into your cell. Allow God to breathe into your sail. This week, make it your best effort to attempt a small group. Make it your best effort. Because I believe when you do that, you're just saying, God, I'm just giving you this sail, I'm blowing it. Mm-hmm. Because I know when you breathe into something, life comes from it. Amen. Allow God to do that, because he will. Faith is putting up the sail. It's knowing that, hey, at some point, God's gonna move this boat. I don't know when, and I don't know how fast, but I know he's gonna move this boat. Look at where you are now. Look at where you are now. You're sitting in a church in downtown Memphis on a Sunday, listening to this sweaty guy preach at you. (laughs) What it took for you to say, God, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna walk into this church I don't, I don't know what it's, what's going to happen. I'm just going to walk in and be faithful to it. And God is blowing life into you week after week. And if you read your Bible, ooh, it's like day after day. Everyone receive that word today? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray.